0: It's time now for Money Matters with the Lewis family, Doug, Linda, and Deborah. Of Lewis Financial Management, a Raleigh based family owned financial planning firm providing investment and financial planning advice since 1983. Doug and Deborah are certified financial planners, CFPs, who can answer any of your questions about investments, retirement planning, and estate planning. Now, here's Doug, Linda, and Deborah. Investments offered through SFA Inc., investment advice through Lewis Financial Management. SFA Inc., and Lewis Financial Management are not related entities. Hello, North Carolina. This is Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner, once again welcoming you to Money Matters with the Lewises, Doug, Linda, and Deborah Lewis. Money Matters has been providing you with a personal financial hotline for all your questions about investments, estate planning, tax planning, money management, and retirement planning for over 30 years. David, this is Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. How can I help you?
1: Yeah, I'm interested in... Uh charitable remainder trust.
0: We're a two-career couple with no children. Two-career couple, how old are you? Uh, 49 and 46. 49 and 46. Your income and hers? Uh 150. 100,000 and 50,000. No children. Right. Okay. Now let me ask you a couple of uh, devil's advocate questions. For example, sure. what is it that attracts you and what do you, why do you want a charitable trust? Usually I'm the one recommending them.
1: Uh, I I would like to leave a significant
0: amount of money to a university in the name of my father. All right. Outstanding. Now, the charitable remainder trust is, in my opinion, and I think Linda would agree with me, the most powerful financial planning tool available today. It can do about four things at once. You have to really walk carefully through the arrangement to make it work right. But the first thing you can do and the the only thing you ought to be careful of is learn who not to do it with. You want to not make the trustee the charity. You want to be the chair, the trustee yourself. Uh-huh. So we want to set up a charitable remainder trust. How uh, are you thinking of transferring real estate or cash or securities? What were you thinking of putting into this trust? Uh, a combination of things, of uh, uh, real estate partnership. Uh, Can't do a real estate partnership. What else? Uh, cash. You can do cash. Uh, securities. You can do securities, uh, and you can do real. Yeah. Est- you can do real estate if there's no mortgage on it. Okay, and uh, and uh, life insurance. I uh, can't do life insurance. There's special rules on doing life on on giving life insurance to the charitable trust. That's okay. a tricky one. All right. About how much are you are are you thinking of putting into this charitable trust? About a half. All right. You can. Here's what you can do. Number one, and you want to work with a financial planner who is experienced in the area of charitable trust. But number one, we want to establish a charitable remainder unit trust, and I would recommend a NIMCRUT. They come in different flavors, if you will. There is the charitable trust called the straight charitable trust. Then there is the net income charitable trust. And then there's the net income with a payout provision or an IOU account, and that's the uh, makeup account, the M of NIMCRUT. So I would use a NIMCRUT. We establish this charitable remainder trust. We make it a NIMCRUT and we identify you as the trustee. So you're going to transfer from your own name, this half million dollars of assets, into your name as trustee of this charitable trust. We're going to then identify you and your wife as the income beneficiaries for the remainder of your lives. You now then will be paying yourself income for the rest of your lives, So that and you will control all of the investments in this NIMCRUD. The key to establishing it is the payout rate, since you're young and your income is high, and I presume your expenses are not 150000 No, I don't All right. If that's the case, then we want to set the payout rate as low as permissible by law. And the reason is, the amount that grows inside this charitable trust will grow into the millions at your age. Not only is it going to give you a tax deduction on your income taxes, then... You're building up what's called an IOU account, the makeup account, inside this charitable trust so that let's say 10 years from now when you're 59, you can start to pull out as much as $200,000, $400,000 for yourself and for your wife uh, for retirement income needs as you see fit according to your makeup account. The key is the trustee. The other thing is I would advise you do not make your charitable beneficiary irrevocable. You can change the, bear, the, the, the the beneficiary as many times as you want during your lifetime.
2: Does that kind of help,
0: David? Yeah, man, It helps a lot, Ms. Bob. Then.
2: If you would like some further information on this, you can call us at the office in Raleigh. Okay. And that number is 919-872-7000. That's USA 7000. Okay. And we'll be happy to send you some information. Thank you. All right. Thank you so much for calling.
0: I really like Getting a call like that, you know, not many people even know about the charitable trust. So it's usually we who are advising to use one. But like, I forget the poet. Deborah, do you remember who the poet was? That said, "A little knowledge is a dangerous thing. Drink deep, or taste not of the Pyrian spring." I don't know, it sounds
3: like Mark Twain. But
0: no, 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 no. <clears throat> I think it was a British. Oh well, I'll anyway, look it up my, later. All right, my point <laughs> is. A little knowledge is dangerous. Now, many people know enough about charitable trust, but not enough to realize that they are irrevocable, which means once you've set it up, you can't change it, and it's going to last for maybe 20 or 30 years. Right. There is a standardized trust document or format given to us by the Internal Revenue Code. uh, It's right there in the code. You can actually just download it if you want. But that's not the best kind of trust document. Right. Because, all right, here's a little quiz question. Is a trust a human or a non-human? Non-human. Very good, Deborah. All right. Linda, if a trust is a non-human, then how do I give something to a non-human?
4: Well, um, you have to set up a document. I can't give it to a document, can I?
3: Well, you give it to an entity that would now have a tax ID number, which would be similar to being entity a Entity
0: can't sign anything. How does an entity sign?
3: Oh, so I see what you're, where you're going <laughs> at. Okay, so this non-human needs a human. That's exactly the point. Okay. The
0: non-human, which is a trust, mm-hmm. needs a human to sign the papers. Right. What's that human called? A donor trustee. or a trustee. The trustee is... The crucial as uh, person here. Individual. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The trustee is the one that signs
3: the trust. Well, it does everything. Really. The trustee, the, the, the trustee follow controls the instructions it. of the that, document that Linda was just talking about. That's exactly right, Debra. So okay.
0: Create, yeah. So now we come to the matter of trustee. The trustee is the one who runs this thing for the rest of your life. So let's think about this. Okay. David wanted to give something away. All right. Half million dollars of so real those estate. So
4: are the instructions,
3: right? So who does he give it to? He's giving it to the university. But. Who does he give giving, it to today? He gives it to this trust.
0: Well, trust is a non-human. That's right. So who signs that I received it?
3: The trustee,
0: the trustee. of the trust. All right. The trustee becomes the crucial player. There has to be a trustee, but you have to be very careful who do you select as trustee. Now, who's the most trusted person that I can give something to right now? Myself. Myself. If I could somehow be the trustee and give it to myself, then I'm pretty sure that I'm not going to be cheating myself.
3: Or that I'm going to follow all my own desires and wishes and everything's going to go the way I want it to be done.
0: Very good, Deborah to follow all of those wishes that I wrote when I, as the donor, set up this trust. Does the IRS tell us who can be the trustee? No. There is nothing that the IRS says. It just has to have a trustee. trustee that's right. So there is no provision that says you can't be your own trustee. Which is very powerful. Which is very powerful. Unfortunately, 90% of the charitable trust documents that I have seen... After they've been done and brought to me are not self-trusteed and it cannot be changed. They're usually the trustee is going to be the charity or the trustee is going to be a bank or the bank or a right, right. So first thing is we need to go ahead and said we, we have to. Go ahead and and get that trustee in place. First thing in your trust document. All right. Now,
4: let's back up here just a moment because we are having a discussion for our listeners.
0: By the way, I just remembered who said a little knowledge is a dangerous thing. It was Alexander Pope. Good job. All right. All right. right, Go ahead. Somebody
5: somebody must have Googled that. Thinking about your financial future. Do you have questions that need answers? For a consultation with Doug or Deborah Lewis, call Lewis Financial Management at 919-872-7000. That's 919-USA-7000.
4: Here we are talking about charitable trusts. Right. And setting up a, a 664 trust where someone gives away an appreciated asset like stock or... Real estate or a business or a business and do what, Doug? Well, the question
0: backs up to why do I want to do it? Why do I want to give it away? And it's very simple. I want to give away that stock or that business or that real estate, because if I sell it, I'm going to pay a lot of taxes. But if I could set up a trust and give it to a trust and let the trust sell it, it's no tax. Which means all of a sudden there's a whole bunch more money. Now the human that runs that trust is the crucial player. So that's got to be myself. The rules of the trust then say this trust run by this trustee will take the money and invest it and pay an income from the trust To the income beneficiary.
3: And, you know, you're bringing in two new players. So here we are talking about trusts and the real usefulness is, well, as part of education tonight, let's talk about the people who are involved in setting up a trust. So we've, we've named the person who, who gave the thing away, that's the donor, the grantor, and then we've named the person who's going to run this thing that is a non-person entity, and that's the trustee, and then you just mentioned the beneficiary, who's going to benefit from it?
0: Right. You're exactly right, Deborah. We have the donor. That's the person that owns everything and
3: is trying to set this trust up. Okay. Then we have the trustee. He's going to follow the instructions of the document.
0: Written by the donor. Written by the donor. And the most important thing now is... The document says there's got to be an income beneficiary that the trustee pays. And who should that be? That should be me. That should be me also. Yeah. So me wants a giveaway to me to tell me to turn around and pay Give me, me. money. There you go. All right. Sounds All right. like a good deal so far. Sounds like a great deal. Let's make it even better.
3: Okay. All
0: right. But How about if I go ahead and say I want to get a tax deduction this year for giving to this me Can I get that? You can. I can if there's one condition in the document. And what is that?
3: That it goes to a charity in the end.
0: That at the end, after I die, whatever is left in this thing, and that's the remainder word of remainder trust, whatever is left in this thing after I die goes to a charity. Okay, so now we've gotten it pretty powerful. I get a tax deduction this year for doing it.
3: Does that tax deduction uh, get repeatable, or is it just in the first year?
0: Actually, there's a yes and a yes to your answer to your question. Yes, it's all used the first year if you can use it. Okay. But if it's such a big tax deduction, right. <laughs> then you get to carry it over for five more years after the gift, which means you can spread it over six years, right. which makes it very right. powerful. Wow. So, Thinking
5: about your financial future? Have questions and need answers? Call Lewis Financial Management for a consultation with Doug or Deborah Lewis at 919-872-7000. That's 919 919- USA 7000.
4: Let's use some numbers, okay? okay, to make this a little bit more understandable because okay. it's great to have the education, but for all of our listeners, let's use some numbers. Go ahead. So let's say someone has a farm that's worth about a million dollars, okay, or more. All right. Okay? More, now, or a business. They, maybe okay. this family inherited the farm from their grandparents, okay, and they are business people. So, if they they
0: want to do. Yeah, they want to sell it, and if they sell they it, already, they can end up having to pay who knows, maybe three hundred or four hundred thousand dollars in North Carolina and federal taxes, capital gain tax, all kinds of things. Because whatever the accountant told them, it's going to cost you between three hundred and four hundred thousand dollars in taxes if you sell it. But instead, you could set up this charitable trust and name yourself as the trustee
4: and, and transfer the asset out of your estate. Well,
0: you just give it from yourself to where you owned it, to this trust, which the trust owns it. And now the trustee, which is also you, has instructions. But by giving it to this trust, you're going to get a tax deduction of maybe $100,000 on your tax return. And as I just told Deborah, if you can't use the whole $100,000 because you're always limited by how much charitable deduction you can use according to your adjusted gross income, you can spread the rest of that 100000 over five more years. Okay, but now there's one condition here. The condition is that a charity has to receive it at the end. I told you at the beginning that a trust is, this kind of trust is irrevocable, can never be changed. So how about the charity
3: can the charity be changed? Is that what you're asking? That is the
0: question. Most okay. people think the charity can never be changed. No, the charity can be changed. That's
3: correct. If the document it says so, says so. It gives it, it that ability or that that um uh, flexibility. No, there's actually a word uh, that that um like when you give a trust a power uh, of uh, what is it in the document itself. You know, we can change right. it. Okay, all right. Let's leave. Linda well, I sl-
4: remember because okay, we had I set up you. a charitable trust, and you did. One. We were able to change the beneficiaries. I mean, you can always. That's the one make you did for change. your mother many, many,
0: many years ago, right? And she had a, ch- a charity she wanted, right? Did she ever change it?
4: Yes, we did. I mean, we did change the charity. Right. So, the, uh, so for our listeners, if you set up a charitable trust and you have designated a charity, you can always add on other charities if you want to add to the list, and you can subtract
0: only if the trust document gives that permission. Exactly. So now we have. To, now we have to have that provision built in there, so it becomes the most powerful of all financial planning tools. To be able to go ahead and create something that benefits you, avoids all the taxes if you do it right.
4: You're listening to Money Matters with the Lewises on News Radio 680 WPTF.
5: Thinking about your financial future. Do you have questions that need answers? For a consultation with Doug or Deborah Lewis, call Lewis Financial Management at 919 872 7000. That's 919 USA 7000.
4: There are some other considerations regarding taxes, and what are the tax implications of converting a person's 401k?
0: Well, when you say converting it, converting it to what? To a Roth? You to mean a Roth, Roth conversions? IRA. That's exactly right, Linda. The subject of Roth conversions is also going to get a lot of attention this year. It got a lot of attention last year. There was an, uh, a writer who wrote into the News and Observer, and the question written by the writer sort of went like this: I'm thinking about converting my 401k to a Roth IRA this year. I retired late last year at age 65. I have about 750,000 in my 401k. I'll receive a five-year payout from my company, about 40,000 a year when I retire, and this, plus Social Security, should be adequate. meet my expenses until I'm 70 years old. So I don't need to tap into the Roth for at least five years. I think I have enough cash on hand to cover the taxes owed on the conversion. I figured a conversion is going to help lower my taxes since my Roth will not have to make any required minimum distribution when I hit 70 and a half. I'm divorced. I want my daughter to inherit my IRA. What do you think? So that was the question that was written in. And I think it's really interesting because we get that question again and again and again. But we have to think about this. What is the Roth conversion all about, Deborah? Well,
3: it would be taking something that hasn't been taxed, income that's, that you uh, your employer um, allowed you to put aside. Right. And then converting it to an account to where you would pay the taxes on it.
0: right. And then what's the benefit of doing that? That's called a Roth. Right. What,
3: so the benefit here would be to take, to have your now after-tax dollars be able to grow and continue to grow in a tax-deferred environment.
0: Because the Roth IRA allows you to take everything out later on tax-free. That's right. As long as you meet a couple conditions.
4: You have such, to pay the taxes up front, right? When you do the conversion?
0: That's right. But the benefit is once you've got it set up, if you wait five years— everything can come out tax-free.
3: That's right. It gives you the ability to use now after-tax dollars and let them grow in a tax-deferred environment.
0: Okay, and so that's what this lady wrote into to the News and Observer about, and that's exactly what we get so often. The big issue here is how much is it going to cost to convert? Yeah, that... Yeah, now on a $750,000 uh, tax, uh, 401k, K. K. Land, yeah. it's probably going to cost federal taxes of over $250,000. Then you've got to add in North Carolina taxes. So the big question is, well, does it make sense for me to pay a quarter million dollars or more right now so what? that it will be able to n- not have any taxes later on when it comes out? And that's very complicated.
4: Well, Doug, isn't that because the tax rates have gone up? Are the rates for this year, have they changed? They've gone down. with state, you mean? North Carolina state? Well, the...
3: Um,
0: the capital was- gains taxes actually went up. Exactly. North Carolina taxes went down. But that's not the big issue here. The big issue is do I want to take a quarter million dollars and give it to the IRS right now?
3: Right. Right now, you're in a situation where you have something that hasn't been taxed and it can remain so indefinitely. Exactly. Especially if you don't need to live on it until you age 70. And I shouldn't say indefinitely, but just until age 70. So the real question is, why would you you want to induce or incur this tax? And many, many people are still asking this question, should I do it?
0: Because they're being promoted very strongly. I think what's needed is a professional who can use a database such as we at Lewis Financial Management we create a database to analyze this run the tax projection before and afterwards and see does it make sense because you can't just answer that question very simply you need a financial or tax advisor who can analyze your personal situation and help determine if the conversion makes current financial sense so what's the negative to it the negative of course is that quarter million dollars that you gave in
3: taxes, you can't invest it. Right. So if you're interested in this, you definitely have to come to the end of it with yeah. an answer of analysis. That's right. So, you know, if
0: if you have that amount of cash lying on hand, you can invest this money rather than use it to pay taxes. In the lady's case who wrote the question, her daughter could inherit the investments that that quarter million dollars got invested in, and then when she died, she'd even get it tax-free as a step-up in basis. Right. So now we get really complicated here. All right, for example, you invest $250,000. It grows, let's say, at 6% after taxes. You die in 20 years. Okay. Okay. Well, what's it going to be worth then? Over $800,000 that the daughter would then be able to receive, inherit, and sell tax-free because of, so, whoa, all of that got avoided if you convert because that money never was available. Right. All right. Then you have the question of, well, what about the 401k? What could be done there? Well, she could roll that over to an IRA and let's say get that invested at 7% over the years and then what might happen even if she started taking out her retirement you know her 40 her required minimum distribution year by year if she died at age 85 then the daughter might go ahead and still get who knows maybe another 1.7 plus the the eight hundred. so so you might end up with numbers like two and a half million million million. versus right fortune it gets really complicated because there are a lot of things to consider
5: for a consultation with doug or deborah lewis call lewis financial management at 919-872-7000 that's 919 usa Seven thousand.
0: You got to consider what about future Medicare premiums? What about future changes in the tax law? And uh, what
4: about if this person decides they want to get married in the future?
0: There's that's right. Linda, this person got,
4: is only what sixty five. Yeah, around sixty five. And so you know. I met someone that got married at 70. (laughs) I think the
0: bottom line here on the Roth IRAs, just like the charitable trust, Linda, the bottom line is you need to consult with a professional, such as we at Lewis Financial Management, who will be able to build a database, run the analysis, and then see which way it works out better for you. You can't just answer the question because a column in the newspaper or a column online said Roth IRA conversions.
4: You're listening to Money Matters with the Lewises on News Radio 680 WPTF. If you have a 401k question, and maybe you're wondering how much you, you contribute, and are you in the right investments within your 401k? Or a Roth conversion? Or should you do a Roth conversion? And you can call us in Raleigh at our office at Lewis Financial Management at 919 7000 well, Doug, there was another interesting article that uh, I, I believe I saw in the Morningstar Investor. It had to do with someone had a huge portfolio and they wanted to cut it down to size. Kind of interesting here. Hang on, I think I
0: can get a hold of that article, Linda, because okay.
4: Morningstar
0: is a very reputable source of analysis, third-party analysis of different mutual funds. And the writer in that particular Issue Now, that issue, I don't know if the public gets that issue very much. It's called not. Morningstar Fund Investor. But they offered a service... Which said, if you want us to look at your investment portfolio, send us the information, and we will go make recommendations. And so what you're talking about here, I've got it here right in front of me now. The article was cutting a huge portfolio down to size. That was the article, right, Lynn? Right. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right, Deborah. I don't know if you had a chance to look at that or if you saw it, but basically, uh, the writer here says, I'm 56 years old. I'm single, and I have a million dollars saved, but I fear it's nowhere near enough And I wish I could work forever, but know that at my age, layoffs come quickly and out of nowhere. So this could be anyone. This is... It could be. Her name was Catherine, but it could be anybody. Her email requested a portfolio makeover from Morningstar. She's a media professional. She has money in several different pools, including a 401k, a Roth IRA. She has a Roth. Multiple taxable brokerage accounts, including one managed by her financial advisor. And her dilemma, she says, is my money is all over the place. Okay, so when he looked at this, he approached it as a money manager. She. No, he. Oh. Was it a he or she? No, wrote it was the she. Was it a she? Okay, <laughs> all right. Okay, so she writes there that she says this lady, Catherine, is luckier than most because she's got a pension coming during retirement that's going to give her 25000 a year and Social Security that's going to give her uh, about another 36000 a year. Her main goal is to make sure the total asset allocation of all of her accounts is on the right track. She knows that at this life stage, it's wise to start taking risk off the table. Well, you know, as I was reading this, Linda, Deborah, I started looking at this and realized we're missing a lot of information here. We're missing, well... What kind of information would you want, Deborah, if we were gonna meet with her and hmm. give her our opinion?
3: Okay. Well, I guess I guess I'm missing I'm missing living expenses. That's right. How much does it cost for her to take care of herself right now? And then I guess I'm also listening missing living expenses that would be desired living expenses. What does she want to spend after she retires? That's another thing we're
0: missing. And we're also missing what about Anything other than her mutual funds? What other assets are we missing? We don't have a financial statement. Does, we don't she,
4: know. does she own any real estate? Does she own does any she real estate? Does she have a business? Does she have a business? Does she have some rentals, et cetera?
0: And of course we don't know what about her liabilities. Does she have a mortgage on her home? So all of this other information is financial planning information, which we, usually, we will insist on having before we will give any advice. But this is a money manager's approach and it's not one that we would use at all but it's very interesting the way he approached it or she approached it, excuse me the morning star writer approached him the morning star writer says that Catherine likes to work she wants to work up until she's 65 or 67 but she's bracing herself for the possibility worst case she is going to lose her job within the next 2 years and so she then looks at the portfolio with a before and an after the before says Catherine's portfolio is sprawling more than most portfolios, has 50 different funds. That's a big portfolio when you consider she's invested exclusively in mutual funds rather than 50 individual stocks. And then the analyst says, well, he or she sees 45% equity weighting, 27% in cash, 27% in bonds. Uh, the portfolio is, has a very big emphasis on inexpensive ETFs, and then comes the after portfolio, meaning the one that Morningstar recommended, and the after portfolio focused on, first, getting an asset allocation that makes sense, second, wanting to dramatically reduce the number of holdings, and finally, the right types of assets within each of her accounts
4: i agree with you doug that we have a lot of missing information when we look at this article and uh you know and then we also realize that wow she has got a lot of stuff in a lot of pockets here Mm -hmm. and so your question is what would i have done so what is your opinion on this whole scenario first opinion is i don't have enough
0: to make an opinion that's the the bottom line. Is I don't. Lacking information. We're lacking information. You should never give advice just on the portfolio. Our financial planning relations uh, recommendations, however, would have all been focused on actively managed funds. When I look at the after portfolio that Morningstar gave versus the before, there's a huge emphasis on index funds. Uh, there are two managed funds. Most of them are index fund and bond funds. No, 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 no. I would have no index funds.
4: So our philosophy is stay away from index funds.
0: <clears throat> That's right, Linda. Stay
4: away from ETFs. That's
0: right. Even if they're cheap. And the reason is, what's the reason, Deborah?
3: It's the, it's the opposite of actively managed. So if something is just passive, then it's going to ride up when everything goes right uh, goes up, and it's going to ride down when everything goes down. But if you pick a manager, you're picking a person, and you're 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 basing your choice on their track record. That's right. And if you have their track record, then you can reasonably expect that they will do the same in the future. And if you don't like their track and record... if you don't like their track record, you can leave that person and go to someone else with a different track record. But if you're just floating up, floating down, floating up, floating down... That philosophy
0: down, of floating and riding the market is something that we feel is not a, a recipe for more anything else. It leaves
3: it's, you more exposed than you need to be. It, it exactly. Is. Very well said, Debs.
0: It is. And so, bottom line, I feel, is that... The Morningstar uses a money manager's approach. We use a financial planning approach.
4: And I agree with you, Doug, because financial planning isn't just dealing with your investments. That's right. Financial planning deals with... Your whole world.
5: You have questions. The Lewises have answers. For a consultation with Doug or Deborah Lewis, call Lewis Financial Management at 919-872-7000. That's 919-USA-7000. I do believe we have a caller. Wait, this
0: is Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. How can I help you?
1: Doug, Glenda, I enjoy your show very much. Thank you very much. I'd like, if you could, to explain to me the difference between no-load, front-end load, and back-end load funds.
0: It's sort of like saying, uh, do I sell my house with or without the use of a real estate broker? Well, the, the bottom line shouldn't be do I sell it with or without the help of a real estate broker. It's where do I make the most money? Right, right. And so what the sales charge is or what the load is, that is the charge that does not get into the hands of the mutual fund managers. It's what you pay someone to help you select the different funds. That's what the load is. Okay. Uh, The load is simply a commission. Right. It's a commission paid to either a broker or financial planner to help you determine which mutual fund is best for you. When you say a no-load fund, that's for the person who says, I don't need any help. I can get my own funds and I don't need any help. Uh, And so, uh, funds who promote themselves as no-load funds, they go directly to the public and they say, you don't need the help of anybody else, you can go ahead and read our material and we will tell you why uh, you should invest with us. Um, that's generally recognized for very sophisticated investors that are able to do so. The question then of do you pay the load up front, as most funds do, or do you uh, go into a fund that says you don't have to pay any load, we'll pay the commission to the person for you. But if you ever surrender or withdraw all of your money from this fund and cash it out and take it and buy yourself a car or a house and consume it, then at that time, the load will be paid. That's called a back-end load. Okay. Uh, I personally don't think that anybody should ever go into a mutual fund thinking that they're going to one day consume it. You should be trying to invest your money to such a degree that it provides comfort for you, and it supports you, but not that you just consume the whole thing at one time. Right, right. Um, and that's that's like, you know, that, that's what I call killing your chickens, and then you have no chickens and eggs. Right. Much better to live off the eggs. So in, in the,
1: and I guess if I'm understanding it, then a front-end load, let's say you went in with 10,000... You'd pay whatever the commission is on the ten thousand on the way in, right? Maybe
0: five hundred dollars. And
1: then, as you liquidate it, or, or as you take extract pieces from it to do things or break it out of the retirement or whatever, then there would be no additional commissions charged, right? Where on a back end, let's say over the course of ten years, it became fifteen thousand, and I'm just pulling numbers out of the air. Yeah,
0: that'd be a pretty bad fund, by the way. But yeah,
1: okay. <laughs> but, <then laughs> but let's say basically- be-
0: let's say let's say it became thirty thousand. Okay, and then you'd be. Um, you would pay the commissions on the total value if you did take it all out at one time. And actually, most of back-end load funds, they peter out over a six-year period, so if you waited to 10 years, there is nothing left anyway to to be subtracted. What do you you mean there's nothing left. There's no more commission. Right. A lot of the funds offer incentives that say, even if it's back end loaded, if you're willing to, I mean, if you stay in the in the fund for a period of let's say six years, okay, then there's there's still a, you never uh, pay the load.
1: So if you were to get out in the first year, it'd be X percentage, and the fourth year it'd be a lower percentage, and right the, beyond six, it would basically be zero percentage. Right. And
0: then there's the question of, well, what if I don't want to liquidate my fund and, and consume the money, but maybe I don't like the way my fund is running, and I'd like to switch to another. fund. Well, then, if you're in the family of funds, you can move from one fund to the other and not pay any commission, any load. Most families of funds let you move from liquidate one fund and go to another fund that they offer, maybe a stock fund or a bond fund or a balanced fund and so forth, and not pay it
2: then. Our number in Raleigh is 919 872 7000. That's 919 USA 7000. Okay. Doug, in relation to Wade's call, what are the expense ratios that one usually experiences if they. You see, that's a a much more
0: crucial factor, and that's something that not many people focus on. The load, whether it's front or rear, is a one time sales charge that goes to the broker or the planner. However, what about the internal charges of running the fund? Most no-load funds have higher expense ratios. But still the question is, well, what does the expense ratio, what is it composed of? And it's very interesting. The expense ratio has three categories. The three categories are... Of the of what composes an expense ratio in a mutual fund are first of all the management fees and that's how much the mutual fund manager is paid in his salary how much it costs to for the rent and the all the support of the manage of the of what's called the mutual fund advisory company the management fees are one part of the expense ratio and then there's a second part which is called the 12b1 fee and that's usually uh, as much as a quarter of a percent for marketing the product uh, and then there's a third type called Other expenses, which are audit expenses, legal expenses, shareholder, transfer, agent expenses, custodial expenses, those are the other expenses. Now, those three categories, management fees, 12B1s, and other expenses are the three categories broken out in every mutual fund prospectus. And typically, the industry average is about 1.5% per year. But there's total of the three? Yes. Okay. There's a major expense that is not included in the expense ratios and is not a load. But no one ever knows about it, but it impacts drastically how much your fund makes in money. And those are the trading costs. In other words, the mutual fund manager, when he buys and sells stocks in your portfolio for you, he calls a brokerage firm. right? And so there are commissions every time he buys and every time he sells. Well, these trading costs can be another 2% add it on to a portfolio if the portfolio is what they call turned over over a year's period of time. Right. If your mutual fund manager has a philosophy of buying stocks and holding them for the long term, then his trading costs are going to be less sure. than a manager who has a 200% uh, turnover ratio, right. which means he turns the entire portfolio over for the entire year. Right. So if you have an average cost ratio, let's say as the industry has, of maybe 1.5%, and you've got another uh, um, trading cost, that's another 2%. You can have as much as 3.5% taken out of your fund every single year. And these are the things that you need to get into in the selecting of the fund. The load is a a minor issue. You see, that's the help of the advisor. Right. But uh, those are the factors that need to be looked at in terms of how your money is going to grow over time. Okay,
1: well, great. I certainly enjoy your show.
2: And if you have further questions, call the office in Raleigh at 919 That's 919-USA-7000. Thanks a lot. Thank you very
4: much for calling, Wade. Well, Doug, uh, that was a very interesting call from Wade about load funds versus no load funds. And then there's another discussion that needs to be had here about uh, fees and charges. When a some some advisors will charge a one-time sales charge when an investment purchase is transacted okay but then there are others that are and mainly fee only advisors or money managers who take your money and they advise you as to where they think you should position those
0: Dollars. Well, yeah. Let's 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 get the language clear. You're exactly right, Linda. That's a whole subject matter that is being perpetrated upon the public uh, and confuses the public. And I am very sensitive to this issue. They call themselves fee only financial planners. I'm a fee only financial planner, and we only do no load funds. Well, what you're talking about are people that charge a fee to you every year. Every year. Of course, (laughs) but they say you're going to be in no-load funds. Well, that's exactly true. There is no load, but there is this fee that you're paying, and the fee is, as you say, usually 1%. uh, One of the major brokerage firms just announced that they are going up to 1.5% for accounts under... Uh, under half million, I think. So between 1% a year. So on a, you know, on a... Let's say you had a million dollars. You're talking about $10,000 a year to be in this kind of account and you're getting no-load funds. Well, (laughs) do the math and you're paying a lot more. (laughs) A lot of
4: money every year.
0: Yeah, so the question really isn't load versus no-load. It's what are the fees you're being charged and for what services? Is it just for money management putting you in mutual funds or is it total financial planning and how much is it costing you
5: thinking about your financial future have questions and need answers call lewis financial management for a consultation with doug or deborah lewis at 919-872-7000 that's 919- USA seven thousand
3: and and you may only know of of money management and and that might be as much as you have learned that you can you can buy advice on and really there's a whole world of financial topics. Uh, that are pertinent to you, important to you, that affect your life, that you want to pay someone for advice on, and that's the that's the comprehensive financial planner.
0: That's right. That's yeah. I like I like the way you put it, Deborah. That it really depends on what you want. Do you want a financial planner that will give you advice in a comprehensive fashion in all sorts of areas, other than just the world of mutual funds? Let's
2: take another caller, Doug.
0: Hi, Russ. This is Doug Lewis, certified financial planner. How can I help you? Hello, Doug. Yeah. Yeah, um, I have a question for you. It's kind of a specific question.
1: Sure, go ahead. Um, I was chosen as my uh, godfather for my nephew. Right. My brother's son. Mm hmm. And my mother is very concerned right now that I do some sort of gift or investment for this child for later on in his life. Right now, he's only like one years old. Okay. But, um,. I need I want I need some advice as to where I could put some money that's that's going into kind of a long-term
0: plan of growth. Right. Right. Well, and he's only 1 year old. Yeah. Personally, you've got two different ways that you can do it. You can do it in a lump sum or you can do it in a monthly. Uh, Because he's only one year old, you have the benefit of time and time will offer the magic of compounding. Uh, It's amazing if you actually put aside $1,000 or $2,000 for uh, a one year old, what that would grow to be over a 20 year period. On the other hand, if you wanted to go ahead and put a lesser amount in, uh, say, on a monthly basis you could work it out that way also in either case the proper investment vehicle would be a growth mutual fund Uh, now you could do it in what's called a UGMA account that's called a Uniform Gift to Minors Act account because he's too young obviously to own it himself or you could do it uh, in other words somebody has to be the custodian of that account that, can I be the custodian? Yes, yes, you can. So you can put it into a Uniform Gift to Minors Act account to where you are the custodian. And actually, you have two types of Uniform Gift to Minors Act accounts. The traditional UGMA account matures, or I shouldn't say matures, but it gives him access to the money at 18. I generally don't like that one because that's too young. You can get a UTMA account, which denies him direct access until he's 21, lets you get to it to use for him or give to him. But I think that I would try the UTMA account, the Uniform Transfer to Minors Act account, and all of the mutual fund companies, will, will, will they will have those available. Okay. Can I
1: set something like that with a stockbroker or an investment?
0: Yeah, you can You can use a certified financial planner. You can use a stockbroker at one of the brokerage firms. Uh, if you want to call my office during the week, uh, either I or Linda can help you set those up. That number at the office, by the way, is 919 And any other stockbroker or financial planner can help you get those set up.
3: Okay.
2: Thanks for calling, Russ. Okay, thank you. We enjoyed your call. Bye. Take care.
3: Another big area that, that uh, you can uh, find yourself needing a lot of advice on is estate planning. And when when we're talking about estate planning, there are some things uh, that are out there that we may not know a lot about, but they are called living wills.
0: Living wills are very much a, a part of what we do In our firm, at Lewis Financial Management, for our clients, we make sure that on the estate planning side, that you have an advanced directive, which is a set of instructions that you give, which outlines your health decisions in the event that you're unable to make those choices yourself, and uh, one of those is the living will. The living will has nothing to do with what you think of when you think of a will. A will is what where my assets are going to go when I die. Right, the a will
3: li- would take effect at your death, you know, after I'm, after I'm dead. That's right.
0: The living will can be very specific with regard to your medical treatments, and there are some specific medical treatments that you can consider and put into your living will, such as pain relief. How is it going to be managed if I become unable If I become uh, disabled, incapacitated incapacitated in the hospital, uh, what about pain relief? How is it going to be managed?
4: So let's look at a situation. You're driving down the road, and all of a sudden, you're in a bicycle accident. And you didn't plan on this happening. It was a sunny day, and you had a bicycle accident. All of a sudden, you can't walk. You can't go to work you can not even feed yourself so who's going to take care of you if you are in not,
0: the hospital that's right linda because if you have not had a medical directive created ahead of time then the hospital will decide how much pain relief you are going to receive and how it's going to be managed what antibiotics are treatment uh, as treatments for infections uh, what about artificial feeding? All of these things you can put in your own living will, your own uh, health care power of attorney, on your own. And what about cardiopulmonary resuscitation? Or what about ventilators, breathing machines? All of these things we make sure that in our office the client has already covered all these bases, as you said, Deborah, as part of total financial planning. So,
3: so when p- you leave uh, instructions in a living will, you're basically... Uh, taking um, taking taking the initiative to go ahead and write down, well, if something were to happen to me, I'd like this person to speak for me. That's right. And I'd like for them to speak on my behalf with these things in mind. That's
0: right. We used to call that the health care power of attorney, that I am leaving power of attorney to my wife or to my daughter or to my, uh, this person who will have the right to override what the doctor says, this person will make the decisions about my health and my body as if I were
4: able to speak for myself
0: myself and everything. Now that healthcare power of attorney is very often part of the living will.
4: You know, there are various stages of life. And, you know, as we get older, our needs change. And as a caregiver, there are health decisions that have to be made with the loved one for whom you may be providing care. And it's a very sensitive subject. So if you have not created a living will for yourself, make sure that you put that on the checklist of one of the things that you need to address, as well as health care power of attorneys, Your will, if you have a will and you need it updated, put that on the checklist. And because your estate has grown and your assets have grown, you may need to consider a revocable living trust. Right, Doug?
0: That's right. All of that should be what's going to happen this year. Awesome. Okay.
3: And if you are, like a lot of people in the United States, um, getting married maybe late in life or a second time, there is often a consideration of whether or not estate plans and prenups should be a part of that Uh, Consideration before you tie the knot.
0: You know, Deborah, I'm glad you brought that subject up because, uh, as recent as last year, we had two cases like this. Uh, Prenuptial agreements aren't just about protecting assets in case of divorce. Increasingly, these contracts are being used as an estate planning tool by men and women, and so these prenuptials are particularly popular because of shifts in the demography and the demographics of. Marriages later, second marriages, and so forth. Most people are remarrying later and baby boomers are now starting to take estate planning more seriously. So you can use these prenuptial agreements on this second marriage as an estate planning tool. What happens when I die? What I came into this marriage with either does or does not go to my second wife Uh, Maybe it goes to my children. Uh, We can put into this prenuptial, which, of course, we did last year for clients. We can put into it the matter of the home. Now we're living, you know.
3: Right. A first home, like the one that you're sharing and living in as your primary residence, or even a second home. Uh, A prenup can protect those assets from becoming mixed in with assets and property accumulated during the marriage that would be divvied up as part of someone's estate after death.
0: And you know, Deborah, this is a real flashpoint right now. Vacation homes between surviving spouses and stepchildren, uh, we can come up with a lot of different ways to make it exactly what you want by discussing it in the office as part of the total financial planning. We can do what's called Qualified Personal Residence Trust. Those are called Cuperts. We can go ahead and have uh, uh, lifetime benefits to live in the home for the second spouse after the first one has passed away, but then maybe it passes to the children. It just needs to be part of the whole financial planning process, not just which mutual funds do I own.
4: You're listening to Money Matters with the Lewises on News Radio six eighty WPTF.
5: Thinking about your financial future Do you have questions that need answers? For a consultation with Doug or Deborah Lewis, call Lewis Financial Management at 919-872-7000. That's 919-USA-7000.
3: Sometimes when the situation is dire or sad or you're facing a serious illness, um, this, is, this is really when some people uh, are not paying attention, who had not been paying attention, really uh, sit up straight and start getting concerned about what to do, you know, in their own financial planning.
0: Um, You know, Deborah, this is another area of financial planning which many people totally ignore. We call it premortem planning. Yes. Uh, Let's say that you have been diagnosed with a terminal illness. Well... In many cases, that's when people let their finances fall to the wayside. Nevertheless, coming up with a financial plan right at that time may be very crucial. I can think of a number of situations which we have had through the years, even last year. Uh, they can be bedside planning. You may want to go ahead and change the ownership. Uh, you've been diagnosed with a terminal illness to change the ownership of a of a piece of property, for example, that, y- that your wife and you own together to move it into your name so that the step-up in basis will occur at the time at your death death, and then it goes back to her it can then be sold tax-free what about the investment portfolio to redesign it in such a way that it meets your needs over the remaining months or a period of time but all of these things need to be talked about not need to be ignored and I think and
3: if there's enough time I know uh, 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 you know people can give very creative. They they can say, well, I have uh, a life insurance policy that I no longer need or um, would like to use better to where I can uh, either spend the last days better or better leave that's right. You know, the, Access the cash value. Yes. Access
0: the cash so, value. There's a lot of creativity. Uh, there, there is creativity in premortem planning and it needs to be brought to the whole world of the client.
2: And make sure
4: beneficiaries are named correctly on your financial accounts.
0: Oh, that's yeah. important. That's important, Linda. There's so many things that are part of total financial planning that really needs to be out there.
3: Thank you for joining us for another edition of Money Matters with the Lewises, Doug Doug, Linda, and Deborah. You can listen to our podcast online at WPTF.com. Join us next Saturday and Sunday at 6 p.m. on WPTF. Call us to set your appointment this week. 919-872-7000. That's 919-USA-7000.
5: You've been listening to Money Matters with the Lewis family, Doug, Linda, and Deborah. Money Matters provides you with a personal financial hotline on any subject where money really matters. For more information, call doug linda or deborah in raleigh at
0: 919-872-7000 that's 919-USA-7000 or go to dougandlinda.com and listen again next sunday at 6 p.m for more money matters with the lewis family on news radio 680 wptf